This is Trinity Western University's Chapel Podcast, where our daily chapel gatherings are captured and shared for the TWU community. Whatever your day looks like today, we're glad you're tuning in. So we are still in Missions Week, and uh, her name is Susie Gomez. She was here yesterday. She's here today. This is her last day. She is on staff at Light and Life Christian Fellowship in Long Beach. She has a master's degree from Fuller Theological Seminary. She loves Jesus, and that's why she's here. Give it up for Susie Gomez as she comes. You know, that's the best intro right there. If someone just says that you love Jesus, it's good enough. Well, um, I'm excited to be back with you again. Yesterday went by so quickly that I want to jump right in. Uh, So I don't want to waste any time this morning. We're going to jump right into the scriptures. We were in Daniel 6, and we're going to finish off Daniel 6 today. Uh, I was going to start from verse 19, but I want to start at verse 18. We'll go back a little bit and uh, just bring you up to speed on where we left off yesterday. So verse 18 says this. Daniel had just been thrown into the lion's den. And then the king returned to his palace and spent the night without eating and without any entertainment being brought to him. And he could not sleep. At the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. When he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice. Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually been able to rescue you from the lions. Daniel answered, may the king live forever. My God sent his angel and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight. Nor have I ever done any wrong before you, your majesty. The king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him because he had trusted in his God. And at the king's command, the men who had falsely accused Daniel were brought in and thrown into the lion's den along with their wives and their children. And before they reached the floor of the den, the lions overpowered them and crushed all their bones. Then King Darius wrote to all the nations and the people of every languages in all the earth... May you prosper greatly. I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel. For he is the living God and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of lions. So Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus, the Persian. Have you ever heard the saying that there may be purpose in your pain? Maybe you've heard variations of it like um, God won't waste your suffering. Or, you know, when you're going through something, people try to tell you things like this to comfort you, right? And they might even throw you some Bible verses. They might say things like, Well, God works all things together for the good of those who love and serve him. Um, His ways are higher than our ways. 
Weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. These are all truths, and these are some of my favorite truths at that. But when you're in the midst of suffering or in the midst of a very stressful situation, it's not always easy to get your mind and your spirit to that place where you believe, okay, there's a, there's a sunny day ahead. You're in the suffering, and it feels like suffering. So even though you hear these truths and you might know them in your mind, sometimes it's hard to feel the reality of truth that's around the corner. It can be really hard to get through suffering sometimes. Now we look at two people in this passage who are going through some suffering. Um, you know what's interesting about it though? When you look at this, Daniel was the one who was thrown into the lion's den. But the passage talks a whole lot more about the king's suffering, the king's anguish, his anxiety and his worry. I know not many of us have been thrown into a lion's den and not many of us have been kings. So their suffering looks a little different than what we might go through in our daily lives. But they felt worried and they felt anxious or at least they had reason to. But their response to their circumstances say something about the God that they worship or the God that they did not yet know. So the king, the man of a lot of position and power, the one who had all the riches, he was the one who stayed up all night worrying. He was the one that was in anguish and he didn't know who to look to. Meanwhile, it says that Daniel was chilling with an angel. God had sent an angel, and um, I don't know what it looked like. Like, did the angel bring snacks and they played Monopoly all night? Were they just having a good old time together? Did, did Daniel see that God sent the angel and he was like, oh, cool, okay, I'm, I'm just going to go to sleep now, okay? Wake me up in the morning. Was he at that kind of peace? I don't know. It doesn't say in the scriptures what Daniel did. But like we talked about yesterday, Daniel had a pattern. He had a really good foundation in his life. He was used to praying three times a day. He was used to relying on God. He was used to being filled with a spirit of thanksgiving and he asked God for help continually. And so I wonder if Daniel was at perfect peace because all night while he was in the lion's den, he did what he was so good at doing. He did what he always did. Maybe he had his eyes focused on the God that was there to rescue him. Maybe he spent his night in worship. And that's what kept him at perfect peace. Though he had the mouths of lions right in front of him. This was not Daniel's first rodeo. Daniel was no stranger to suffering. And again, maybe his suffering looked a little different from the kind of suffering that we go through today. But he had plenty of moments where on more than one occasion the future was uncertain and death was possibly around the corner. But God had shown up in every situation. And like his friends Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Daniel knew that God could deliver him even from a lion's den. But even if he did not, Daniel would stay faithful to his God. Daniel had an unshakable faith and his faith kept him in perfect peace. So again, in contrast, it says that Darius was so distraught over the fact that Daniel was in the lion's den that he could not eat, sleep, or do anything but worry over Daniel's situation. Would God save Daniel from the lions? Would the king lose his wisest and most trusted official? 
These weren't weak, sickly lions. We know this because the next people that came after Daniel crushed the people that were thrown in them. So it would require an undeniable miracle, an act of God for Daniel to be saved from the mouths of these ferocious lions. So what was the difference between Daniel and the king? It was a matter of trust. Daniel 6.23 tells us that when Daniel had been lifted out of the den, no wound was found on him because he had trusted in his God. Daniel was putting into practice the words of Psalm 146, which says, Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, my soul. I will praise the Lord all my life. You know what's happening here? The psalmist is commanding their spirit to praise. The psalmist might have faced a situation like Daniel. And the psalmist is saying, you know what, I'm choosing right now. I will praise the Lord. I am commanding my spirit to praise the Lord. I will praise the Lord all my life. I will sing praise to my God as long as I live. Do not put your trust in princes, or in this case kings, in human beings who cannot save. Blessed are those whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord their God. Daniel was living this out in the lion's den. Daniel trusted the Lord with all of his heart. He didn't lean on his own understanding. And he acknowledged God in all of his ways. And God made his path straight. According to the truth of Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. And then here's the truth of scripture that also came alive in Daniel's situation. Psalm 40 verses 1 through 4 say, I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and he heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, or in this case, a lion's den, out of the mud and mire. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Remember that thing about there being purpose in your pain? That thing that God won't waste your suffering? That God can work all things together for the good of the, those who love and serve him. That his ways are higher than our ways. That weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. Well, I guess in this situation, Daniel was living out the truth of scripture. And then, many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. King Darius came to see and fear and put his trust in the Lord after seeing the way that Daniel had trusted in God and saw that Daniel was delivered from harm. Darius saw that Daniel had a power that he did not possess. If the king was thrown into a den of lions, his gold and his jewelry weren't going to be able to save him. Daniel had a power that the king did not. And Daniel's power was in trusting in the Lord. No wound was found on Daniel because he had trusted in his God. Yesterday I talked about my little neighbor Stephen when I lived in South Central LA. Uh, he was a kid who grew up wanting to be just like the drug dealers that he saw and the gangsters that he saw because seemingly they had it all. Um, and again, whether it be Stephen in South Central or Wendy in West Vancouver, so many people make money their God. And they worship money instead of the true and living God. People put their trust in material things. And you know the irony of the American dollar bill is that on it it says, in God we trust. 
Lots of people are worried about the coronavirus right now. But the worship of money is the epidemic that we should really pay attention to fighting. We live in a world that worships money. In my years serving as a missionary in South LA, there were a lot of well-meaning short-term missions group that would come in and visit the city. They wanted to come to the city and serve the underprivileged of society. And while it may be true that a lot of people that lived in the urban pockets of the city did not come from places of material privilege, um, the thing that I began to realize was that the mistake that we often make is that we often think that poverty somehow equates to unrighteousness. Why were wealthy suburban kids coming to the community to serve the underprivileged kids who had been churched all their lives? There was often an assumption there that poverty equaled unrighteousness. And it's a mistake that we have to fight against. Now, it's not to say that um, we should not fight for economic justice and reform in places that have been oppressed systemically and um, places that have racist and unjust structures in place. We should fight for those things and fight for the prosperity of the city. But wealth is not the end goal. Material wealth is not the thing that brings a person to a true place of richness. Because in the community that I lived in, there were plenty of people who had riches that many people in West Vancouver know nothing about. Have you, have you ever met a person who's rich in faith? Whether they are in this world with material wealth or not, there are people who have a richness of faith. If you do know any people like that, I urge you, do yourself a favor and spend a lot of time with them. Spend a lot of time learning from them. Do that kind of investing. Invest your time learning from people who are rich in faith, that you might live a life that is rich in faith as well. I know I learned a lot from the people that I had the honor of calling friends and neighbors in South Central LA. Uh, speaking of honor, um, I also had the honor of having lunch with Reverend James and his wife Renata yesterday. And um, as, as we talked over lunch, um, we had some really good conversation. Listen to the podcast. We had some conversations surrounding some of the things that we talked about on the podcast as well. Um, but he said something, and I said, oh, that's good. I'm going to use that in a sermon someday. And that someday is now. Um, <laughs> what we were talking about was, was about uh, comfort and how often people are unwilling to give up comfort in order to grow. Or even in order to fulfill the purposes that God has for them. Often comfort stands in the way of what God wants to call us into. Comfort often stands in the way of faith. Comfort often stands in the way of growth. So we have to lean into discomfort. Or else we're not going to grow. Why do we need faith? If we have too much comfort. If we have so much comfort. So, so what Reverend James said was... People are trying to get to a level of comfort where they don't need God anymore. That one bears repeating. I'll say it again in a different way. People are trying to get to a place of stability and comfort, maybe material wealth or position or power, to the point where they don't need God anymore. This is, this is a really scary truth. And um, this is why I'm saying that we need to fight against the ways that the world wants to lie to you. The world does say 
that position and power and money, these are the things that get you ahead. These are the things that will get you set for life. But we need to fight against that lie. Because when you have money and power and position and you don't live in a way where you need God to work in you and through you, well, then you don't need faith. And if you don't have faith, well, the Bible says according to Hebrews 11.6, without faith, it is impossible to please God. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. So Trinity Western, if I have one charge for you this morning, it's this. Live your lives in a way that requires faith. Live your lives in a way that requires faith. You know, I'll end with a story that actually puts the book of Daniel um, into practical application. Uh, it's sort of a fusion of the story of Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego all in one. Um, when my husband was a college student, he used to work at Home Depot. Um, my husband, Marcos, he grew up in a rough neighborhood. Uh, his cousin and his best friend had just been killed in a gang-related incident. And Marcos was a new Christian. He grew up in a Christian home, but he never really put uh, his faith and trust in God until he had a season in his life where he had to face death multiple ways. His cousin had just died, and his own life had been threatened multiple times. So he finally surrendered to God, and he was made new. He had a genuine conversion. He didn't just come to Jesus and say, God, I need you to save me from death. He really wanted to live differently. And so God was gracious and renewed him into a new man. And so it was in this season that he got a job at Home Depot. He, he, start, he started attending Bible college, actually. And so while he was at Bible college, he got a part-time job at Home Depot. And Home Depot was just the job that helped put a little extra cash in his pocket. So it was not his career goal to work at Home Depot, but he brought excellence to everything that he did. So when he went to Home Depot, he said, I am on mission with God. And he, he brought his best self to every place that he went. But one day his manager came into the staff and he said, I have an announcement. Uh, we're, we're, we're getting really heavy in our schedules here and I need every one of you to be available on Sundays. Each one of you has to start working on Sundays. And so when Marcos first got this job, he had told his boss when he got hired, he said, here's one thing, I cannot work on Sundays. I go to church on Sundays and I won't compromise on that. So his manager came in and said, everybody needs to work on Sundays now. So right after that meeting, Marcos went into his office and he said, oh, you know, um, we had agreed when I first got hired that I wasn't going to work on Sundays. So that's going to be a problem. I'm not going to be able to work on Sundays. And so then the manager said, well, I'll consider that your two weeks notice. Before Marcos left the office, he said, I, I just want to share one story with you. And he said, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a person of faith. And he went on to tell him the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. How um, these three Hebrew boys refused to bow down <laughs> to the king. And, and he didn't want to follow what the king said. But then God came and he rescued them. And God had his way. So he said, I'll, I'll let you read between the lines. And he left the room. I'm just kidding. That's not what he said. <laughs> But he did tell the story. He told the story. I actually don't know how he closed the point. But he just, I just wanted to share that story with you. And the, and the manager was just like, all right, okay, you know. And Marcos was like, you know what, I, I'm just going to keep working until I'm not working anymore. The manager had said, this is your two weeks notice. But two weeks had passed 
and they kept scheduling Marcos. Three weeks had passed, and he kept getting a schedule. Four weeks had passed, and he was still on the schedule, but never on a Sunday. And so when one of his coworkers noticed, they took it up with his manager, and they said, how come Marcos is the only one that never has to work on a Sunday? And then the manager told him, yeah, you know what, I almost forgot about that. But you know what, a really weird thing happened that night. He came into my office and he told me all this stuff about why he can't work on Sundays. And then that night, I couldn't sleep. I was like tossing and turning in my bed all night and I just could not sleep. And then after a while, I thought, oh, I wonder if it has anything to do with this guy Marcos who told me that weird story. And I don't know, I, I, I wish I could tell you that this guy is now a faithful believer in Christ and he's like leading Sunday school and stuff like that. I don't know what happened to him. But all I know is that he told this guy, he said, well, you know, I just I didn't feel right scheduling him on Sundays. So just leave him alone. Put everybody else on the schedule, but don't put him on Sundays. And so for many, many more years, Marcos worked there and was never scheduled on a Sunday. Maybe God was sending his co-workers and his boss a message not to mess with his servant. You know, Trinity, I, I hope that you live your life in a way that makes the world around you pay attention to God. I hope that you can be bold but respectful about your faith. I hope that you will live a life that does not get blinded by the God of money and doesn't sacrifice comfort for faith. I hope that you'll learn a lot from the people around you, even when the world says that maybe they're not the most special. Don't chase after a life that's so comfortable that you, you do not need God. Live your faith in a way that causes others to inquire about this God that you serve. There are many who spend nights not knowing what to, where to put their faith and their trust. There are many who have never been introduced to this God of Daniel, to this God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, to this God of Marcos Gomez, and to the God that you serve. And they're waiting for somebody to testify about who saved them. This is missions week. I pray that your ears would be open, that your eyes would see, and that your hearts would be fertile soil. And I pray that you would have the courage to obey. Can I pray for you? God, you're such a good God. You are that God that rescued Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You rescued Daniel from the lion's den. You were with Marcos in his passion and his zeal. And he might not have had eloquent words when he went into his manager's office, but he went with the spirit of God. And so, God, I thank you that in this room you have sons and daughters that you call chosen, that you call a part of the royal priesthood. God, thank you that we get to live out the reality of being Ephesians 2.10 people, Lord, that we are your masterpiece, that we were created in Christ Jesus to do good works. And so, Father, we pray that we would be surrendered to you so that the work of the master would be seen in us and that people would know who to put their faith and their trust in. So God, we ask that you would give us the courage 
to obey you and that we would live lives that require faith. All unto your glory we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. We hope that this message has challenged, encouraged, and inspired you as we continue learning and growing together in discipleship to Jesus. Every week, you'll find new chapel messages on our channel from local and international speakers ranging in diverse and engaging topics. So go ahead and subscribe for the latest of what's going on in chapel. Much love and happy listening.